and welcome to Best Girl Grip, the podcast that navigates the film industry through the lens of the women doing just that. I am your host, Nicole Davis. This week, I am back with the third installment of my bonus trilogy, and my guest is the incredibly talented, incredibly charming Kathy Brady. Kathy is a two-time IFTA-winning director, having won Best Short in 2011 for her first film, Small Change, and again in 2013 for Morning. In 2011, Kathy directed the Biffa-nominated short Rough Skin, starring Vicky McClure, and in 2013, she was named one of Screen Daily's Stars of Tomorrow. In 2014, Kathy directed on the BAFTA-nominated drama thriller series Glue. More recently, Kathy directed Stephanie Preissner's TV comedy series Can't Cope, Won't Cope. Wildfire, her debut feature film, which we're here to talk about, alongside how her career led to this moment, is released in UK cinemas tomorrow, on Friday the 3rd of September. Kathy's film tells the story of inseparable sisters, Lauren and Kelly, raised in a small town on the Irish border, but whose lives are shattered by the mysterious death of their mother. Lauren is left to pick up the pieces after Kelly abruptly disappears, but when she returns home after being reported missing for a whole year, their intense sisterhood is reunited. I saw the film at LFF last year and it was haunting and poignant and spectral and definitely had this spiky, fiery quality to it. Um, it's also lensed by Crystal Fournier, who has worked on lots of Celine Siamas movies, including Girlhood and Tomboy, and the lead performances by Nika McGoigan and Nora Jane Noon are stunning. Anyway, this chat was lovely and I could spend many hours talking to Kathy. We cover her time at the NFTS, how she hustled to get directing work upon graduation, the experience of making Wildfire and then the difficulty of releasing it during a pandemic and whilst grieving the death of one of its lead actresses, Nika McGoigan. I definitely urge you to support this film in cinemas. But in the meantime, enjoy our conversation. This is episode 92 of Best Girl Grip. So yeah, I mean, I guess where I'd like to start this particular podcast is asking you if there was a if there was a moment when you realised you wanted to be a filmmaker, you know, when did that aha moment happen for you? It was, wasn't like one surefire moment for me. I think I realised I wanted to be a filmmaker when I was in art college. And I so happened to be in an art college that was also the National Film School in Ireland. And I was watching the, the filmmaking students across the quad, bringing out their Korean and working together as a team. And, you know, I was in the art studio and it was just, it was just about me and your canvas, me and your camera. And I was just like, oh, wow, they're doing this so collaborative. And I'd said to two of the girls in my art course, I was like, oh, how about we just make a short together? And it was the it was the biggest messiest short ever, but it was. I remember I didn't stop laughing, and I remember how inspiring it was to work with people who, and share a vision. I was like, "This is it. This is the thing." And I realized I was in the wrong degree. So I I think over the two years I left the degree and uh, planned to take a break, and I just for two years I worked in the industry, and I was just you know. I was fortunate enough to just, you know, be on set, making teas for people. And then slowly but surely, I started doing stills photography for films. And I got to really witness how the set works and I kind of got to feel like where I would want to situate myself. I remember distinctly, I was on this short and I was doing the stills photography and I was so in the moment. And they had... Um, the guy did call to action on the scene and then something had, had, had messed up in the scene. And I was so engaged that I shouted, cut. It's like absolutely mortifying, absolutely mortifying. I was 
okay, it just, it was just so engrossed, you know, I would like to call cut on someone else's set, like, I don't even know what I was doing, but like, there was something about being on set and that I felt very at home and felt like, this is what I can do, this is what I want to do, and I, I want to get the skill set. Yeah. I want to be the one to yell cut. <laughs> it was because I was so engrossed, but it was so embarrassed, and I'm even embarrassed now talking about it, but... <laughs> Clearly there was something subconscious happening is what I'm trying yeah, to say. <laughs> absolutely. And so when did you decide that you wanted to study at NFTS? You know, why was that the place that you were drawn to? Okay, so what happened then? So I'd done two years in the industry and I write, I had enough confidence to go back. Right, I'm going to go back to my art school. I'm going to say, I want to transfer the remainder of my degree into the film course. So <clears throat> they turn around and goes, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll take you back. But, you know, we have enough directors on this course. You come in as a producer. And I was like, yeah, fine, whatever. So I made a short there. So it was my first short, small change and the the short got into Sundance and it also got onto the Channel 4 Coming Up scheme and I, I applied to the NFTS around the same time. And the reason I was applying because I'd only done one short. At that stage, I thought this is too much of a fluke, you know, your first short to kind of have this traction. So for me, I felt like the NFTS would just provide a moment to, to figure out more about what it was about because I wasn't ready in a position to keep, to try and go professional because I'd only had the one short. Mm-hmm. What the NFTS allowed space for me to go, okay, here's two years, now figure out that craft even further. And that allowed me to explore specifically scripting improvisation. So that's what I wanted to look at. I wanted to go, right, I'm really interested in performance and, and how you nurture performance and how you nurture script. How much of that can you work with an actor in terms of building character and plot? And then, so at the NFTS, I came out each project slightly differently. So with my first year film, we, it was uh, fully scripted, but we shot moments of improvisation. And our, our constraint was it was on Super 16. So it was really interesting. Okay, the limit is here, is the film. Um, I can only have so much improvisation. I have a script, so I have clear beats. What can I get? And that was really interesting. And I wanted to mix working with actors and non-actors. So Thomas Turgoose was in, Tom Hughes was my established actors, and then a cast from 400 uh, kids in Hull. And we, we, we find these amazing three other actors. And so it was really interesting just seeing what happens when you put non-actors, actors, you improvisation script. So I really was throwing a lot of shit at the wall to try to figure <laughs> out stuff. And then we had a project in our second year called the Digifiction, which they really kind of go, right, this is where you have to experiment and you're going to be shooting on it completely digital. Mm-hmm. So embrace that. Um, you have four days and as a director, you're going to produce it. So I thought about really pushing improvisation and characterization further. And it, I, I had this, this idea that was kind of haunting me. It was based on a, a photograph I'd seen in, in the Metro of this woman kind of leaning like into her hand. She had this weird, weird kind of smile, but these really intense eyes. And I was very captivated by her image when I was looking at the paper. And as I read the article, I realized that, that her daughter had been murdered. And I, I was very confused about why she was posing for a photograph and why she was smiling. And it really threw me because I kind of instantly judged her. And then I judged myself for making a judgment on that woman. And I thought there was something really complex about private and public grief. And I wanted to look at that, but I didn't quite know how to tell that story. So the digifiction provided a space for me to go, right, let's just explore this. So I thought, okay, if I'm going to really explore it. I'm going to, I'm going to work with two actors and I'm going to work with them separately. And they're going to meet each other on screen for the first time. So, you know, it was a great one because I, any, any of the crew that was coming on board, I was basically saying, this might be a complete disaster. Are you okay with that? And it gives such freedom. So I worked with Johnny Harris and he had no idea who he was going to meet on the set. Um, and Johnny was going to play the press photographer. So myself and Johnny, we, we interviewed several press photographers from the photographer who'd covered the Maddie McCann case to 
kind of more local regionalized photographers and mm. we even spoke to a photographer who took the original photograph and hearing his story of that moment like basically this guy was a you know he was he was an amateur photographer and he was working for the local paper the the news was big about this girl's death but the mother didn't want to give the story to like the big nationals she wanted to give it to our local paper right. so the this guy gets his call going she's coming into our office you have to make it look like it's a home environment take the photograph and this guy came in he's not used to doing sports and this woman came in she was really he wasn't grief stricken she wasn't grief stricken she was in shock he just you know he said oh, do you want to just um lean into your hand there and smile click got the photograph and that was the truth of that photograph and i thought there was something really interesting in that so meanwhile myself and johnny are developing that character with i'm working with a screenwriter sarah as well from the school and we're building kind of little moments of fact and little moments of really interesting plot that we want in there meanwhile he doesn't really know too much about the woman he's going to photograph he starts mm-hmm. to know information about the case and then meanwhile i'm working with eileen mulch um an amazing irish actress and we're building her story as a mother who's been bereaved through homicide and she doesn't know who's going to come to her door and so that was such a fascinating process and then yeah. finding the film on the floor crafting it and um, the balance of improvisation and then control you know, because at some point, you know, it can't be too loose and feeling so you need to kind of hone it. And then what the edit then does, what sound even does when you start stripping away stuff. So that was really fascinating. And then the, the final film was my grad where I got to work with Nora Jane Noon again, because she was in my first um, short small change. So, so yeah, in many ways, Nora Jane is like a massive muse for me, you know, and we have an incredible shorthand. And um, so that was kind of the journey of the NFTS and what I got from that. And then with, with doing my grad, it was about like, Okay, again, kind of working very closely with actor Barry Kilgan was in that as well, and Andrew Simpson. So it, it was really um, exciting about building characters and script at the same time as you're casting. So, yeah, so I think NFTS provided me that sense of working very closely with cast and also the balance of script and improvisation. I want to come back to talking about your writing process because it does sound like you're very kind of character-led, almost auto-image-led. But I'm also interested in that transition from coming out of film school and being in a place where kind of the resources and the space to creatively experiment and develop is kind of provided and then how you go on to sustaining that. I I imagine that to be quite a a fraught and potentially scary time. How did you find that? such a good question. And uh, yeah, it's really, it's a hurry, hurry moment. Because there's there's an amazing structure in film school, and not only that, your peers are so inspiring as well. And then what slowly you find is people can't sustain living in London, so mm-hmm. that group, that support group, starts to fracture. I think what helped getting an agent straight away, and that yeah. sort of set me up for for generals. So I had some kind of intros in in the in the industry and a, a sense of what was happening, what people uh, were looking for. Not that I would try to write for what they were looking for, but for me to know, I feel that it's a good, good fit as a company for me or not. Especially if I did want to be more actor-led, you know, that someone have to want to be excited by that process as such. But that was really difficult. I find myself kind of, I think it was a year before I, first, I, got, I got my first job, which was one single episode on Glue, Jack Thorne's Glue for E4, which was, which was really interesting because it, I think, you know, at the start of that year, I might've had a general with 11 and I had a sense that they were doing glue. I had a sense it was it was about adolescents in the countryside and kind of living very recklessly. And there were themes that were very similar to my, my graduation film, Wasted. Mm-hmm. So they knew I had that sensibility. So I, I think I, even in that first general, I was very cheeky. I was like, you know, they were like, so what are you up to? And I was like, oh, I'm interested in this and this and that. And I was like, can you, t-? 
what are you working on? And they were telling me about glue. And I said, listen, that sounds right up my street. Would you, would you just allow me to interview him? And he was like, okay, when it comes, we'll, we'll give you an interview. So he was a year later. And um, I think I was sent um, some of the earlier episodes. And, and then I came in and I, I think I brought a, a number of images and some music references and then just kind of pitched for how I would approach the, the TV series. Mm-hmm. And, and I got the job. And then that was, that was mad because all of a sudden like you know yeah there's a catering bus <laughs> people are eating on the bus okay <laughs> all right oh, shit you're the director you know oh fuck right okay yeah these people are looking to you you know and that was so exciting and a little intimidating but more exciting than that yeah so that was really okay here's a step up and what was amazing is you know your vision still exists but you're actually more supported you know Schedule wise, it was a bit of a shock to the system because you don't have the same, you know, oh yeah, I'll take, you know, how many ever hours to shoot that one scene. No, it's like we need to get through six or seven, maybe eight pages um, a day. So mm-hmm. like you need to work so fast and your first day becomes your right hand person. And um, working with a really good DP, you know, and you know, these are people you haven't worked with before, so you've no shorthand really. Plus, if if you're starting out as a director and you're popping into a middle block, there's a style established. So for me, I was like watching all the rushes. I was like, give me as many, you know, of your rough cuts, uh, your fine cuts from previous episodes. Like I was trying to immerse myself. So I had a mm-hmm. sensibility, but at the same time, too, you're hired to bring a sense of what you do. So it's, but there's a balance, you know, and that was really interesting. But so I think, you know, the, the hint is that you're being hired because there's, there's something tonally within your work that feels right. So I think, you know, that can be difficult that first few while about getting the right gig, but I believe you're you're better off holding out and getting the right gig rather than trying to like get the wrong gig and then you're really trying to change entirely what you're about in order mm-hmm. to facilitate something else. Um, shortly after that, then I was approached with a one pager from a production company in Ireland who were making a TV series for the first time uh, screenwriter. So she had had done a, a play before that and they were looking to develop a TV series thematically around what she was interested in. So I came on board that as a one pager and I think it took two years and we got that off the ground as a, a six-parter. And she definitely wrote the scripts, but I was very much involved in the development of the characters and the arc of the series. And that was Can Cope, Won't Cope, uh, which was made for OT, then went to BBC Three and then Netflix picked it up. And that was like, that was holy shit. That was a whole nother <laughs> bag of what the heck. Because the budget was teeny weeny, and I kind of feel like that. It's like that triangle sometimes. What do you call the triangle? You know, like you can get it. Please help me here. <laughs> you can, you can get it. I will when you I can. can. <laughs> you can get it fast, or you can get it. What is it? You can get it fast, or you can get it. There's always a part of the triangle you can't have three of them. And I felt like in Cancun, the the budget was so limited that the schedule then became so limited. We were shooting. 10 pages a day and I remember this one day I was like holy shit there was like 10 pages and then like, there was nine locations I was like oh <gasps> but like you know and I you know I come from like a slower pace doing stuff so but it's amazing how you when you step up you have to step up you just have to think really fast on your feet this is what's interesting in between all these jobs I did a bit of teaching I, right. I was teaching screen acting um at Bow Street and that that allowed me experience to think very fast on my feet because I think when you're teaching acting, you your notes have to be so precise because you don't have the shorthand. You're you're really helping someone find their way into a character when you're teaching, and you know maybe they're just discovering things for the first time, and you're helping them find their truth. Uh, and on 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 set, like you you might be you know you, you might be a bit more direct. You know you might not be as you know coaxing, you know nurturing. You just have to get things done very fast. 
But I think the teaching experience allowed me to think very fast on set because I was used to maybe, you know, working with 30 students and they'd, they'd be coming in with maybe, you know, 10 scenes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're, you're, not, you're, you're not having the prep of reading those scenes. You're hearing them get them on the floor and you're going, okay, where's the turning point? Where's the arc? Where's the beat? Okay, where do I need to change the dynamic here? Okay, who do I give this note to? Do I give that note to that person? Okay, how are you going to help that actor find out? Okay, you're going to do this. So I really think, even though teaching wasn't necessarily what they wanted to do, it really, it makes me better as a director. And I actually think it's something I will continue to do for that reason. And mm-hmm. I think as a director, I kind of feel like it's really difficult when you're not directing because what then what are you doing? You're not working with actors. Okay, you're writing or you're researching, but it's that one-on-one time on the floor that like, sometimes can get a bit rusty. Yeah, absolutely. That's so true. And I'm also wondering, did you have a moment where you felt like you'd earned the title of filmmaker, where you felt, you know, confident enough to call yourself that? I don't know. You just do, you know? (laughs) I don't sit back and go, oh, what am I about? Or all that stuff. You kind of, you're doing it and then someone says, oh, this is what, what you do. Oh, that's interesting. I kind of feel like getting to make my feature, having the support around me and, and really people kind of going, I really believe in the way you're wanting to approach this. I trust mm-hmm. that. What can we do to help? Okay, where can we get you funding? What way do you want to work with the actors? Okay, you want to build the ground up with them? Okay, you want to research it? Okay. And, you know, so it's, it was, um, I think it was little by little and being surrounded by people who were mm-hmm. like, it, you know, raised me up in a sense. But yeah, I think it's doing. Yeah, doing the thing. I mean, that's the perfect segue to talk about Wildfire, which is your feature debut. And I'm wondering, kind of, given that you have said that you kind of want, like working with actors and developing the story with them, how did you come to the idea of Wildfire? You know, how did that start to gather? So I had obviously worked with Norgin twice at this stage uh, with um, Wasted and Small Change. And I had uh, worked with Nika in Kanko Bunkup. And there was something about these actors' energy, and God knows why, but there's something instinctual that like really draws me to them. And I'm like, I think it's their, for me, I think it's their range to be incredibly fierce uh, in a very present, uh, embracing whatever happens. And that could be incredibly vulnerable. And I think there's a real strength in that. And I love the polarity of that. And Nika had an incredible ability to be really childlike in a really innocent, pure sense. Do you know what I mean? She really wore her heart on her sleeve. She was the kind of person who made you incredibly present to be in her company. That's incredibly exciting to be around as a director and as a writer. You know, you kind of go, what is she thinking? What is she feeling? Like her, her ideas were just, they were just kind of bubble up out of these really interesting places. Mm. So I was, of course, excited about how would I work with her again? And then with Nora Jean, having worked with her several times, I was like, oh, I just, I feel like I've just scratched the surface because, you know, you get to know these people, you get to know them really well. And you're like, you're amazing. How do I really uh, unleash that? And I thought, if I put these two together, what would happen? So it was kind of a little test, you know, and it took a few months for that happened. And literally we met for, I think it was a cup of tea first. And I sat back and I watched them and it was like, it was just, I think those moments are rare in your life where you sit back and go, holy shit, this is something. You know, you, you have a gut instinct and then you put it together and you witness it and you're like, okay, I don't know what it is, but I know there's something here. And uh, I think, you know what we ended up talking for about four or five hours then we went and got a pint of Guinness and I think over that Guinness we we committed to we're going to make something together no matter what so we spent a few weeks back and forth going okay you know what stories tell me what stories you're interested you know these are strong fierce women so 
we were kind of looking at, you know, stories that had happened in the past, stories that happened in their own lives. And, and I said to the girls, have you ever heard of the Erickson twin sister story? And they're like, no, no. And I was like, you have to watch this documentary, Madness in the Fast Lane. So I showed them the, the clip where you see um, the two sisters walking along the middle of the M6 in England. One throws herself into oncoming traffic and then split second, her sister does the exact same. You, you know, it's it's really shocking, shocking footage to witness. And then what's remarkable is these women get up with incredible fury. And one of them crosses over to the other side of the motor and takes six men to pin her down. Meanwhile, she's shouting over to her other sister. They're not real. They're not real. They'll steal your organs. And it's really terrifying to watch it because you don't understand what's going on. And the more you kind of read around what happened, the opinion of what these sisters experienced is very divided. But one of the theories was that they had a shared psychosis. And that was the first time I came across the idea of a shared psychosis. So that was kind of like, when we looked at that as a moment, we were like, what would be the journey to that moment? And, you know, the thing is, these sisters, you know, when you look in the documentary, they don't say they, they intended to take their lives. So what the hell was it? You know, that was the question for us. Like, were they just trying to cross the road? What, what was it? Why the hell were they walking in the middle of the M6? So so it was in around about that time that Carlo Prestadina had seen Morning, my fully improvised short, and uh, I'd done a general with him. And so at that stage, I brought in, you know, the images that I'd been gathering with the girls in terms of tone references. And I, I brought in a piece of music and clip from the documentary, the headshot of the two girls. And I was like, this is kind of the film I want to make. I remember he sat back and he's like, oh, okay. This is going to be a very difficult film to make. You know, this really is the kind of film you're not going to know what it is until you've drawn all the way around it. And my God, was he right. <laughs> but what was fascinating from day one, he got it. He got that this is going to be actor-led, it's going to be research-led. And that, that began a fascinating journey because then Screen Ireland were one of the first um, to come in. They allowed us to uh, have to work with a researcher a welcome trust came in that really helped facilitate that even further. So we were kind of building fact and fiction at the same time. So we were, for example, speaking to psychiatrists, psychologists who really had a deep understanding of psychosis, shared psychosis. And you know, we were coming across terms like intergenerational trauma for the first time, basically a trauma that hasn't been processed in one generation, so it's passed on to the next. And all of a sudden I'm looking, holy shit, I'm from borderland Northern Ireland. There's a serious, serious, you know, inter intergenerational trauma happening within that community. And it, it, it was kind of like, OK, so let's borrow what we need from the setting, from what we know from our own stories, from no, what we know is other people's stories. And let's start building ideas for these characters. You know, OK, so how do they end up in this motorway? We knew that scene was going to exist in the film somewhere. Um, and that really was a very interesting journey that, you know, involved, like, for example, some workshops. The very first workshop, you know, I didn't have a script because we were going to build it together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm working with physicality, you know, because, OK, you've got two sisters who are experiencing a short psychosis. Their language should be like just incredibly powerful. They should be able to look at each other. They should be able to walk like each other, talk like each other. So physicality was going to be my or the starting point. And a way to access that for me was using music because it was like a universal language to the mm -hmm. girls. It's like, OK, this is kind of the energy that we need to match. And uh, Patty Smith's Horses was uh, was amazing. You just we rented a hall. We played it massively loud. And I was like, played it. And I was like, you got to match the energy of this song. And the girls started this dance. It was movement. It wasn't dance. It was movement. And they were like matching each other's energy. And, you know, Nika was like rising further and Nora Jane was trying to meet her. And then Nora Jane was going higher. Nora, Nika was trying. It was crazy. And then at some point they kind of collapsed into each other's energy. And you realize that when they just stopped fighting for status and they just allowed each other to be present, mm -hmm. that something more powerful opened up. And I, 
in that very first workshop about six years ago, I witnessed something that I was like, this is a metric. This is incredible. And what's what's even stranger again is very, very, that, that actual moment was we filmed it. And a lot of that is in the film, in the dance scene. You know, we did work with identical uh, twins who helped choreograph it, <laughs> but it's pretty much very similar to what they did in that very first workshop. And electric is, yeah, exactly the right word to describe that it's scene. Bizarre. It's bizarre. I mean, I mean, last night I seen the film for the first time in front of an audience. Right. And a lot of distance from the film, but uh, it's, what I find fascinating is because I was watching the film going, wow, these, it's, their relationship is so codependent and mm. it's incredibly complicated. And like I, I and also I, I find myself going, God, they're really not well. And I had never really, um, because I guess while making, I was never trying to judge these characters or what they were mm-hmm. going through. Or even the dancing, I always knew it was kind of slightly strange. But I trusted that it came from a, such a strange primal place in the workshop that it was true. And therefore, it should exist in the film because ultimately, you're you're talking about sisters who haven't shared psychosis, so they're not behaving in every day, they're not thinking in an everyday way. So there is going to be moments of slightly bizarre surrealism. So mm. uh, you know, how do you nurture that stuff naturally, truthfully? And I think the workshops provide a lot of little golden nuggets like that that we started to trust. I'm really interested in the research element of um, the film, particularly, you know, you've got the scientific kind of research that you're doing, but also the historical research, the fact that, yeah, you mentioned like the troubles and the the traumas that are kind of bleeding into the film um, from that time. I'm wondering how you, how you stopped the the research kind of overwhelming your writing process and but letting it inform it in a kind of organic way, you know, was that something that you tussled with at all? Yeah, fuck yeah. I mean, because it's like dude, this way I you know I don't recommend it for the faint-hearted <laughs> to be honest okay because the problem with research the more you research the more you want to research mm. you know but what it, listen I was telling the story about uh, sisters who were experiencing psychosis and I had no first-hand experience of that so I felt like I wanted to do that story justice those characters just and I didn't want them to be you know symptomatic or like diagnostic I, I wanted them to be very real lived in beyond what they were experiencing and the research kind of gave me it gave me a doorway in but ultimately once you've entered in that door it's actually about the person and some we, we talked to two sisters for example who had a shared psychosis and one of the moments that stood out for me is First time she realized that something wasn't right for her was when she was coming home one night and she heard this noise and she looked around and it was a wolf and she started running and she she tripped, she got covered in mud and when she went to the front door to ring the doorbell, she looked around and it was gone. And there is no wolves in Ireland. And for her, that was the first moment where she was like, I don't know if I'm okay. But she didn't want to admit to it. And I, I hearing her tell me that, I was like, that's so strange. Like... And she, you know, she's on the other side of it now and she couldn't even explain it. And I just thought, I need to protect certain areas of the film that everything can't be so explained. And that's, it's this, this is the difference between something that might be more character experiential, visceral, than something that might be more plot led. So, you know, for me, it's the research is the foundation, the, the confidence into character, but then it's about the person and the uniqueness of that person and the thing with psychosis is I guess is the the past becomes present so that was really interesting so that piece of research awakened a lot for me because I was like okay if the past becomes present when someone's experiencing psychosis then I need to know everything that happens in the backstory 
because that's what's that's what's coming through and that's what's something that's coming through that hasn't been dealt with but of course it's going to come through in a convoluted subconscious kind of way mm -hmm. so you're balancing that and then that's where creativity comes in and abstractism and you know you know but i'm not thinking this way i'm just kind of going constantly with gut i'm going with um, what the actors are giving back what feels true to their their kind of sensation of that character you know especially when you're working with actors for five years on these characters and you're building ideas they're letting go of ideas you really start to trust the integrity of what they believe is true you know and then that becomes a very interesting balance because at some point you have to go that might be true for your character but is it is it what we need for the story so then you have to take another step back so this is what i mean it's it's a strange old uh, strange old one and then you know you shoot it then you get into the edit and the whole story begins again Let's talk about the shooting of it, because obviously it was your, not your first directing outing, but your first feature um, that you've directed. I'm wondering whether the experience was what you expected it to be, whether it challenged or surprised you in ways that you, you couldn't have predicted. I think there's a saying, right? Don't work with kids. <laughs> do, it, do it. Don't work with kids. Don't work with animals. And don't work with Van Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> And I did all three. And you know what? All three were amazing. This was a hell of a ride. And I felt like, you know, it was a long time coming, you know, when, you know, various stages, we felt like, oh, shit, we're going to need more money. Okay, we're going to have to wait another several months, if not a year. And, you know, we're constantly held out. And in between that, the girls went off and they did different pieces of work. I did different pieces of work. And by the time when it came to make it, you know, we were in such a steady, reassured, confident place about what we were about. And the shorthand was incredible. Like, I think we shot for just a little over six weeks. We had a lot of major set pieces in that, you know, so I knew that like working with a very experienced cinematographer would be crucial. And Chris California came on board. Like, I mean, I loved her work because she had a real sense of the human, but a sense of poeticism. But you've never felt her hand in any kind of big way. And I felt like that's what I needed. And I also wanted a cinematographer to come in and shoot Ireland in a way that wasn't the, the eyes that I had. Maybe the eyes that another Irish cinematographer had. I wanted just a little bit of an outside into Ireland. And she was wonderful because she, you know, we prepped everything. We, You know, our big sequences were storyboarded. But not only that, every single scene we shot listed. Every single scene. Wow, okay. So it was great because I was so... I was so ready. Mm. I was so ready. And she was, she was so committed, you know, and, it, you know, right from her very first conversation, she just understood a certain nuance that I was like, yeah, you get it. You get this language. So shooting that really was, uh, it was a real joy. And like at that stage, you know, myself and Nika and Nora Jean, you know, we're, going, we're looking at each other going, holy shit, we're doing this. Do you believe this? This is incredible. And I remember, God, it might have been on our start of our second week, we did the dancing. And the room was just like, wow. And I, I think that's where I watched the crew go, because, you know, I'm working with a lot of crew that I've never worked with before. And they were all like, okay, I think I know this is, this is different. Mm. I, I, that, that day I felt a switch. Mm. Like people were like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was really exciting. Um, every day was a challenge. You know, if we weren't shooting on a motorway, we were trying to let it light a field on fire. We were in the middle of the ocean or we were working with a wolf. Or we were working with kids underwater, <laughs> um, working with body doubles, stunt doubles. Um, but, uh, you know, when we wrapped that film, uh, I think just the, the three of us had just, we like, it was, we knew we had done this thing that you mm. just do once in a life. Because God knows if I'll ever be able to work that way again. And that's why I'm so grateful to every single person who made that possible. 
And so I had an incredible experience in it. It was friggin' difficult, but like, of course it's going to be difficult because it's challenging, but it was a joy. And given that, I mean, yeah, you shot it quite a while ago now, the releasing has been delayed because of obviously pandemic times. Um, I'm wondering what your relationship to the film is now, you know, do you look back on it as something, you know, is Wildfire the film that you're intending to make? How do you feel about it a year or two on? Well, McLeod, it, did, it got like really complicated in post-production for us. So Anika, during our post-production, we, were, we weren't even halfway through the picture lock and Anika got diagnosed with cancer and had passed away within five weeks. So like, that was just unbearable, you know. It took, I took some time away from the film. I was lucky enough that they let me move the film post back to Ireland. We still had um, two days pickups to do. So it was very complicated because, like, you know, six weeks after her death, it was on set working with the body double, just get small pickups. And that was like, we had worked so hard to that moment that I think I would have gone through fire to finish that film because to not finish that film would have been a huge injustice to, to everything that we had all poured in and everything that everyone had believed to get to that strange place of finishing the film that was process driven. But to finish the film without her, Jeez, I don't think it was cathartic because I don't think it is, but it felt like justice. And then, you know, we finished the film in February and then COVID happened in March. So I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, like, listen, <laughs> you know, anything can happen. Like, you know, I was just at that stage, I was like, I just don't know anymore. Like, seriously, I've just climbed that mountain. What, what other mountain do you want me to climb now? <laughs> you know, well, I was just like, who wrote this life story? You know, honestly, <laughs> honestly, God, like... Like, I don't know what I did in the past life, <laughs> but it was actually a saving grace, uh, COVID, because it allowed me to completely stop, slow down, grieve, and figure out what I was about. And not, what am I as about as a filmmaker? No, I mean, who am I about as a person, mm. you know? Um, in the July, on Nika's anniversary, we find out we got into Toronto on our one-year anniversary. So I was like, okay. All right, so someone is writing this story <laughs> because that's a real plot twist. There, okay? <laughs> but then, so trying to go and yeah, so you you know we'd love your film to go there. You know we're only picking I think it was only fifty films for that year, which was remarkable because they normally pick over three hundred. Mm-hmm. But then they were like, and you can't come, but we're going to screen your film to an audience. So it was like holy shit! Like so, the film really is going out there without us. And um, but I go, I go now and I go. I don't think I would have been ready. I don't think I would have been ready to sit in an audience to get on a plane without her so here we are like nearly a year later and the film's coming out in september we're in a very different place we've had the first public screening last night and i think myself and Nora jane are in a place of like let's celebrate let's celebrate what we did and not only that like it's an important story like you know the themes in the story are things that need to be talked about it's about families and communities who are pathologically secretive the fear of the truth but actually knowing somehow that when you embrace the truth and let the truth go that it is actually healing and it's it, it it's essential you know and I, I feel like I'm not at the place of yeah the film is done we've gone on the journey now it's like let it find its audience and that will need just a gentle little push now and that's kind of where I'm at I'm conscious of time so coming towards the end I'd love to know if there's something that you consider to be like the biggest learning curve of your career or, or something that you perhaps wish that you'd have learned earlier. Oh this is a really good question shit I don't even know if I have enough time. Um, I think the biggest thing I've learned is that you're not in this alone 
as a filmmaker, it's such um, a collaborative medium. So you need to find the right collaborators. And that's a lot of that's gut instinct. A lot of that's like, you, you know, the minute you meet someone like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're talking the same language as me. And that's I'm not saying that they have to share the same ideas as you, but they need to speak the same language as you. And because that belief is it's like the fuel and that language is, makes everything so much easier in terms of communicating because it's collaborative. So you, it's all about finding the right collaborators because they will make you a better filmmaker mm. and you will make them a better creative in whatever department they're in. I love that sentiment of, yeah, you're not alone in this. Um, Kathy, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Oh, um, thank I you. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for downloading this episode of Best Girl Grip. You can find all my previous interviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast. Wildfire is out in cinemas from tomorrow. And if you visit modernfilms.com forward slash wildfire, you can see which cinemas are showing it this very weekend. Mm-hmm.